It's time for Growing Texas Olives, the only podcast made specifically for you, the Texas olive grower, and to my knowledge, still the only podcast in the world fully dedicated to just talking how to grow olives. Thanks for being here today. I am your host, Stephen Yonock. I'll tell you what else, uh, we're the only podcast in the world with that intro music. (laughs) So thanks to my buddy Jay for that intro music. Uh, that's still the best part of this show. I, I appreciate it, man. Well, it, uh, it, I guess it was a beautiful day here. Uh, I'm at the office in Hallettsville again. Of course, it was hot, but uh, we actually caught some rain today. I don't know if these are heat showers or where exactly the moisture's coming from, but Lavaca County, Colorado County, this kind of area caught a few showers today. Uh, and it's the story of the haves and the have-nots, you know, uh, I think the west side of, of Hallettsville got close to two inches. Uh, the east side of, of Lavaca County got less than an inch. And then back towards my house, which is a little further east, uh, again, over two inches. So uh, it's just kind of crazy. I, but I wish I could spread it around and, and share it with the rest of you folks because this is uh, this is getting, getting pretty crazy. <clears throat> uh, just the heat and the drought that we're dealing with. And yeah, I'm no, I'm no uh, meteorologist, um, and, and even the meteorologists aren't that great at predicting. But from everything I'm seeing, uh, there's no real break in the long-term forecast unless we get some kind of a tropical something. Uh, they don't really see this pattern breaking until maybe after August. Uh, but really, the long, long range says we don't return to normal or above normal precipitation until maybe uh, January. So. Yeah, uh, not great, and and all of that makes irrigation in the orchard even that much more important, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I believe last episode we did, um, we started irrigation, and I said something like, thinking about irrigation like a farmer, and that's really what I'm trying to do, uh, is to... I don't know. Change the way you think about things. Uh, maybe maybe improve the way you think about things. So that's what we're going to do today, and probably for the next few episodes, is talk about irrigation because that's probably mostly what's going on right now. Uh, before we get there, just some housekeeping stuff. Uh, I'll just say I, I apologize for being out uh, for a while. Uh, July was a pretty crazy month, and I can't believe I'm already already here at the end of it. I uh, went to California. I went there for the UC Davis olive growing course um, back in the middle of July. That was that was really good. I, I hoped that I maybe would see some of you there, but I don't blame you. Uh, I forget what it costs, like $800 or $900 or something for that course, for a two-day course. I thought the price was a little steep, but but it was it was good. Uh, a lot of information, a lot of experts, good tours. We took a tours to a couple of different places. There, one of uh, the UC Davis Research Orchard, a couple of spots there, and then we went to a few uh, uh, you know private large uh, orchards, commercial orchards in that area, Northern California. And that was probably the best part is to see those those real orchards, see them at scale, uh, really talk to those growers about how they do things. Uh, so that was really good. And, and a lot of that information I'm going to be sharing with you uh, for 
perpetuity, I guess. As long as we're doing this thing, I'll be sharing that stuff that I learned. Uh, so that's uh, that was the middle of July. As soon as I got back, uh, the wife and I packed up and headed off to, to uh, actually a vacation. I don't get many of those, but we headed off for six days. Went through New Mexico, camped, uh, went up to Colorado to see her dad and some of her friends and camped up there and then uh, camped at uh, Caprock Canyons State Park in, in Texas. Camped there on the way back. Got back, uh, you know, that's like a nine-hour drive from Caprock Canyons. I got back that night and then I left at 3 a.m. the next morn- morning to go down to Westlaco uh, down in the valley to give a talk on olives. Uh, the county agents of Texas were meeting down there for a, a professional development, and they wanted to learn about olives in Texas. And so that's what I did. Um, and then the next day when I finally got home, I, I basically took the day off and slept and tried to recover from all that traveling. Uh, and so here we are. Uh, it's late July. I think today is uh, 20... Nope. Uh... 29th. 29th of July today. Look at the calendar. Can't believe it's 29th. We're through halfway of the year. Uh, So July. July in the olive orchard. When I say July in the olive orchard and what's going on, you should immediately and automatically think leaf sampling. Uh, That this middle July to middle August time frame is the right time for leaf sampling. And it's the right time because we have reference points. Uh, we know what what uh, what a healthy olive tree, what the nutrient content inside the leaves should be at this time of the year, uh, because those numbers fluctuate over the year, right? Uh, based on the the phase of development or the phase of growth that the tree is is in, those those nutrient levels will fluctuate, and so that's why we use July, uh, sort of the middle of the year, as our reference point. So. Get out there, take your leaf samples, uh, send them off to be to be tested, and we'll use those numbers uh, to kind of judge how how good you've done so far in the season with your fertility management, uh, and if there's any deficiencies or, or issues that you need to address with the rest of the year that we have before you get into next year. So I've written about this before. I've had it in a newsletter before. There's information online about leaf sampling. Uh, but just quickly, I would recommend you send it through the A&M, uh, what is it called? Soil, Water, and Forage Testing Laboratory. Uh, I can get you the forms or the forms are online. It's like 20 bucks for a sample. Uh, you know, you probably only need one sample for every 20 acres or so. Uh, so if you have, you know, an orchard smaller than that, you probably just need one sample. Unless you've got vastly different soil types you're dealing with, then you'll split those up and maybe do different samples for the different soil types Uh, but you'll take uh, you'll you want uh, you want fully expanded dark green mature leaves so you're not collecting the new growth that light green stuff the tips you want fully expanded dark green mature leaves but you're not also taking leaves from the base of the twig you don't want those oldest leaves so you're taking leaves from in the middle of the shoots Uh, about I think 25 leaves is the minimum Honestly, I would I would do 50, you know, more is better just to make sure you got a good average. Uh, you don't need to do anything to them. You don't need to send them overnight. Uh, you can take your leaf sample and leave it on the dash of the truck for a week and then send it off. It doesn't matter because they're going to run it through an oven and cook the heck out of them and then grind them up and then they'll they'll do their analysis after that. So 
Uh, it's a really simple process. Like I said, about 20 bucks to get it done through the, the lab at Texas A&M. There are other private labs and there's nothing wrong with using those, at least to my knowledge. I looked into using one of those actually just to compare uh, the results from that to our own lab. And I didn't do it because it was like a hundred something dollars for a single leaf analysis. And I just didn't see the value in that. Uh, you know, our, our methods at the a and uh, their methods at the a and uh, soil testing lab are, are proven and unbiased and used around the world. So anyways, get that done. Uh, and then when you get the results, if you don't know what you're looking at, send them to me. That's exactly why I'm here. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. There's more I could say there, but we'll leave it there for today. So leaf sampling, get it done. <clears throat> Let's see what else. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, as far as I know, I've been around the state and as far as I've seen, there's not, there's no fruit. There's no orchards with fruit in the state in 2022. I've seen a few trees, scattered trees, um, weird situations where we do have some fruit. Uh, but like I said, literally a handful of trees. So no fruit this year in the state. And so there's not a whole lot going on as far as management. You're keeping them watered. You're looking at your fertility um, and, and managing that. Uh, maybe some pruning, although it's really getting late for pruning. I don't like, uh, I wouldn't recommend really any pruning after, I guess, after August. I mean, really what I what I think now with, with the training and the experience I have, uh, really I think basically all pruning should be done spring and early summer. Uh, at this point, you know... I, I guess I'd be okay with doing some pruning if there's some major things that you need to correct before next year. Uh, but uh, basically, I, I think uh, there's not a whole lot to do anymore at this time of the year. And I'll tell you this one thing real quick. We're getting way off topic, uh, and we're already 10 minutes in. I got lots to cover, as usual. But I'll tell you one thing real quick. I just got back from California, right? Um, and in their high-density and medium-density setups, um, where the trees are anywhere from five to 10 feet apart in the row. We're not really even worried about the, the, the row to row spacing, the between row spacing, but in the high and medium density where they're five or 10 feet apart in the row, those growers really don't do much pruning for the first three years. And that's where a lot of you are, I know, is, is regrowing trees that, re, that sprouted after the freeze or you've planted new trees and you're restarting the orchard so I know we got a lot of young orchards listening, and so this fits for you. They really don't do a lot of pruning. That you know what they do is they skirt, so they they trim up the low branches, the low hanging stuff, uh, and they prune suckers. And they do that about twice a year. They do that once, kind of in, in in early to mid summer, and then once towards the end of the summer again. Uh, again, just skirting, lifting up those lower branches, pruning off the suckers. And maybe if there's like uh, co-dominant trunks or, or weird crossing branches or branches that are growing down or any other major problems, they might prune those off. But by and large, they'll go through two times a year, sucker and skirt, and that's about it. They, they by and large, everybody grows them on a central leader, so they're not really topping them to, to get them to, to bush out uh, that central leader thing seems to work just fine they fill in even at that 10 foot between trees even at that spacing they fill in fine in about four years so anyways that's a little bit of a side uh if you were thinking about pruning for the rest of the year probably wouldn't probably wouldn't do much uh 
Okay, irrigation. Uh, there's a lot that could be talked about on irrigation. I mean, you can get a PhD in irrigation. There's books on irrigation. There's entire classes and courses on irrigation. So there's a lot to talk about, and we're gonna. That's why I said we're gonna spread this out over a few episodes. I've been doing a lot of reading on irrigation lately to really hone my skills um, and my understanding. Um, because again, as I've probably hopefully told you guys before, I'm not an expert. Like. I'm not a farmer. I don't have an orchard. I don't have a research orchard that I get to learn and experiment and, and uh, experience with. So it's a little bit difficult for me. Um, and unlike California, I'm I'm one guy, you know, one guy working with olive growers where over there they've got irrigation people and pathologists and entomologists and soil scientists. And, you know, we have some of those here, but those people... I guess, don't have a lot of experience with olives. So anyways, I'm doing my best over here is what I'm saying. Um, I guess cut me some slack if I get something wrong. Uh, I'll tell you where a lot of my information lately has come from or a lot of my refinement of my understanding lately has come from. Uh, it's a book that I got. as I got it as a free book actually in the mail. And it's called The Almond, the Almond Irrigation Improvement Continuum. And so it's a book from the Almond Board of California. Uh, obviously, yeah, it's all about almonds and not about any other crop. But a lot of the same things still apply to olives. A lot of the very basic irrigation management stuff still applies to olives. Uh, so I guess that's what I'm saying is if you want to improve yourself, improve your understanding, which I encourage you all to do. I mean, if you're going to be a farmer uh, like this is your job, uh, go out and get this book. Uh, it's actually free. You can download it online. If you just Google search for uh, Almond Irrigation Improvement Continuum, <laughs> it's a mouthful, Almond Irrigation Improvement Continuum. But if you Google that, it's literally the first link that pops up. You click on it. It's a 150-page book. You can print it if you want, I guess. It's a beautiful color book. Um or, or just download it and read it at your leisure. And it's really nice because it breaks it down uh, kind of into three levels, like three levels of, of expertise or three levels of management. So level one is like kind of the basic, you know, it's not real high tech using basic tools, basic understanding. Um, and then level three, you know, is, is the most high tech. You're using soil moisture monitors and you're using a, a tool that measures the water inside the tree and you're scheduling irrigation looking at you know how much water the tree is using i mean it really gets uh really gets technical there for level three and we're actually going to get through all of that in this podcast over the next few episodes but <clears throat> now that we've gone 15 minutes i'll get into what we're actually going to talk about today which is not exactly irrigation uh, but more about the basics that you need to understand and do and have correct before we actually get into figuring out how much and when and how often to irrigate. So we're talking mostly about basically irrigation system evaluation, uh, evaluating uh, basically uh, distribution of water. Uh, and I'm starting with this because I've heard about lots of issues, uh, you know, and, and, and I understand why they happen. You know, I could I could see myself making the same mistakes that a lot of you have made 
where you know you, you install this irrigation system, a company does it for you. You yourself are not really the expert on how it works, the technicalities, and this and that, how to maintain it. And you know, a year or two, three years down the line, you don't notice it, but stuff has changed with that irrigation system. It's not a static system. Things change, things clog up, things break, things wear down, uh, things leak. <laughs> so, so I understand. You know, uh, I would have made a lot of those same mistakes uh, being in your shoes. But that's why I'm here today. We're going to try to go through some of these things together. Uh, so. You know, the first thing I would say is know what you have. I mean, I, I visit I visit these orchards across the state, and I'm like, you know, we're talking about irrigation. Are you getting enough? Or they're asking me, how much do I irrigate? And one of my first questions is, well, what kind of emitters do you have? What kind of what does your system put out? You know, is it is it inline drip? You know, drip emitters inline in the tube, or do you have those pop in drippers? Or do you have microsprinklers? I think there's only one of you out there that has microsprinklers. Everybody else is on drip. Uh, but know what those drippers are supposed to put out. Are they half gallon per hour or two-tenths of a gallon per hour? Or uh, And then know the spacing on them. Are, if they're in line, are they every 12 or 18 or 24 inches? Um, or if you popped them in yourself, uh, you know, with those drippers, then you just you only need to know how many drippers per tree that you have so just know what you have what are they supposed to be what are they supposed to put out uh, because that's going to come into into our evaluation of the system later on if you know what those drip emitters are supposed to be putting out and later on when we when uh, uh, when we check on that actual flow rate uh, you know you'll be able to, to compare that to what they're supposed to do uh I learned also that there are pressure compensating and non-pressure compensating emitters, whether that's the inline or the pop-in drippers or even the uh, micro-sprinklers. There are pressure compensating and non-pressure compensating. Uh, basically, non-pressure compensating, they're going to drip. Their, their, and I'll use the technical term, their discharge rate. Learn that word because we're going to use it. Their discharge rate. The discharge rate of a non-pressure compensated emitter, the rate will change as the pressure of the line changes, which makes sense, right? More pressure in the line, that emitter is going to drip more. But if your emitters are pressure compensating type, then they basically, once they reach a, a certain minimum pressure, then above that pressure, no matter what the pressure is, they're going to drip or discharge the same amount of water. So that's what it means if they're pressure compensating. They can they function at the same discharge rate over a wide range of pressures. So it's quite important to know that because that comes into the irrigation system evaluation later on. So those are the first two things or three things to really know about your irrigation system. What's the discharge rate of your emitters? What kind of emitters? How far are they spaced or how many per tree? And then are they pressure compensating or non-pressure compensating? Okay. Um, once you know those, uh, if you know what kind of emitter uh, or what, um, if it's pressure or non-pressure compensated, uh, you want to look at the manufacturer's like chart or table or, or whatever literature they have on those products because uh, they'll tell you, you know, what discharge rate those emitters 
should be working at under a certain pressure. So you want to have that for reference. Now we just get into kind of some maintenance stuff, cleaning and replacing filters. I mean, obviously that should be an obvious one, cleaning and replace filters. Uh, you know, how often is going to depend on your individual system, how dirty the water is, how much problem you have with algae or other stuff. Pretty much everybody that I think of uh, is using well water, so you should have pretty darn clean water. Uh, but, you know, even a 200 mesh filter uh, doesn't really filter soil particles or, or water minerals or algae particles. So even if you have a 200 mesh filter on the uh, kind of at the head of the system towards the pump of the system, that may not be enough. Uh, stuff's still going to get through, get into the system. And most of the dirt and particles and minerals and stuff will be deposited mainly at the end of your lateral lines. And when I say lateral lines, I'm talking about those actual, like the drip tubing, the lines that go down the rows of trees. Those are called your lateral lines. The line that feeds your laterals is sometimes called a manifold or sometimes called a header or sometimes called a submain. And then your main line is, you know, the main one coming from the pump. So most dirt and stuff tends to get deposited mainly at the end of those lateral lines. But keep in mind that stuff can be deposited throughout the system because when you shut the irrigation system down, all that water just stops where it is. And so particulates and algae and stuff will, will settle out wherever they are, which is everywhere. So you can have buildup of debris and stuff throughout the system. Um, and, and some people have uh, multiple filter locations. I mean, primarily everybody has filters at the pump. And, and if you have really good filters at the pump, that's probably all you need. If you have a few maybe in line, of different, different mesh, different size, that's probably all you need. That's at least what's been found is that a high quality filter system at the pump is better than lower quality filters uh, throughout the system. You know, some people have filters at the header or at the, at the, beginning of the lateral lines uh, but everything everybody says it's better to have just a few good quality ones towards the pump so filters obviously uh, we talked about uh, but there's still going to be stuff in the system or can be so you want to flush and i think this is one that a lot of people miss out on i didn't know about until growers and people started talking to me about the importance of flushing the lines and again not just flushing the ends of the laterals not just the ends of your drip tube but the entire system. And so when you're going through and doing this kind of maintenance, you would probably start towards the head of the system, towards the pump, and flush your main line first. And, you know, maybe some of your some of you out there don't have an irrigation system with a flush valve or, or the option or built-in capability to flush those main lines. Maybe think about modifying that. <laughs> Putting in a, a valve or a... a uh, some kind of mechanism there to where you can flush the main line and then go further down, flush the submain, go further down, flush the header or the manifold, and then go through and flush all of your, your lateral lines. And, you know, you basically run them until the water comes out clean and then run them for a little while more. Uh, when you get to the lateral lines, you can open up multiple at, at one time, but how many lines you can open at one time to flush kind of depends on, on the capacity of your pump because you need a certain velocity of water to actually sort of efficiently flush those lines out. If your flow rate is too low, if you have really slow slowing, excuse me, 
If you have really low flow of water because you open up too many laterals to flush at once, uh, then you just don't have the pressure, the velocity needed to actually clean those lines out. So you have to figure that out. Usually somewhere between five and 10 laterals at a time, you can flush. Uh, and if you've never done it before, you might start with doing it once a month. Uh, you know, and, and if you keep doing it, you say, say you come back a month later after your first flush, you come back a month later, you flush them again, and they're all perfectly clean, then you can start extending that, that period between flushes. Uh, if you come back a month later and they're dirty again, you might want to increase your frequency of flushing. So you just have to figure that one out for yourself based on how dirty the system is, I guess. All right. Yeah, I'm looking at notes here because I'm having a hard time remembering everything. Um, leaks. Leaks are obvious because we're, we're getting to the part of the podcast where I'm going to talk about uh, uh, evaluating your system, actually calculating how much and seeing how much it's putting out, uh, calculating distribution uniformity. And so obviously we can't do any of these things correctly, uh, efficiently if we don't address the leaks. So there can be, and right now is a great time to go out and find leaks, especially leaks outside of the orchard. They're easy to find now because everything's brown and dead and there'll be a green spot where the leak is. So get those addressed. And then even down the rows, uh, you know, they, they talk a lot about it in California about addressing leaks, even small leaks in the lateral lines, those little sprays. We think about probably here that, ah, it's a little spray. It's not going to really hurt anything. And, and that's true. It probably won't hurt anything unless you're really drenching a tree, then you can create root rot problems. But uh, the point was even a little leak adds up to a lot of wasted water. And of course, that's why they're so uh, adamant about addressing leaks in California is to save water where they don't have much. Uh, look for clogged emitters, you know, with your micro sprinklers or with your uh, pop-in drippers. Those are easy to see when they're when they're clogged up or when they're not emitting. Uh, the inline drips obviously are a little bit more difficult <clears throat> difficult to spot those clogged emitters. Uh, but go out as soon as the as soon as you turn that system on, you can go out and look for, you know, the ones that are working will have a little wet spot starting underneath them. The ones that aren't working so much will have a dry spot or a smaller wet spot. And if it's just one or two emitters here and there, you might you might just kind of tap on the line, beat on it with a stick or something. And a lot of times, if it's just one or two emitters, that beating on it will kind of loosen up whatever's uh, whatever's clogging those couple of emitters, and uh, you can go on your way. All right, golly, twenty seven minutes. Can't believe. Well, hang in there. We got a, I got two more two more pages of notes. <laughs> All right. I really think everybody needs to be testing pressures. I think you need to, and this is going to cause a little pain for you if you've never done it before, because it's a whole process you got to figure out. But once you get it figured out for yourself, you just do the same thing over and over again as you evaluate your, your system year to year. Uh, but generally a handheld, uh, 0 to 30 or 0 to 60 PSI liquid-filled pressure gauge is what you need. You'll have a few different fittings that you'll have to figure out what works for you. Um, and the main place to test is at the, at the lateral lines, mostly at the tail end of the lateral lines, right at the end of them where that drip tape ends. It's mostly where you want to do most of your pressure testing. 
Uh, and a lot of times those, those ends, uh, the tail end of the lateral is kind of folded over and then tied closed so it doesn't leak out. So you have to figure out, you know, what kind of fitting. And this is where you go to your irrigation supplier and say, hey, you know, I need a pressure gauge and I need a fitting to go into my 5 eighths drip tube or whatever size drip tube you're using. They should know. <clears throat> and then they can set you up with the right adapters and fittings. And so you want to test the end of those lateral lines. Uh, you're looking for a few things. You're looking for, you know, pressure within a certain range of PSI to make those drippers work properly. If they're under pressure, obviously they're not going to be applying as much. They may not perform like they should, and you're not going to get the discharge rate that you're counting on. So you're checking those, the end, tail end of those lateral lines. Uh, you can check the head of the lateral lines where it comes out of the manifold or the header. <laughs> and doing so can, can tell you, okay, if I got nice pressure at the head, I go to the tail end, I got almost nothing. I've got something in between, some kind of problem between the tail and the head. Somewhere down the row, we've got a problem, uh, and you can address that. Of course, a lot of you with smaller orchards, the, the rows are short enough. Often you can just go check each row and find out where you have a problem. Uh, not a bad idea to have a permanent uh, pressure gauge up towards the pump, towards the head of the system. Either a permanent pressure gauge installed or a permanent fitting where you just kind of plug in the pressure gauge and check the pressure once in a while. And this all just gives you good general information, uh, kind of baseline information, so that later on if you have problems, you can kind of go check these reference points with your pressure gauge and kind of know what's happening. Obviously, there can be pressure differences based on uh, what affects the pressure in the pipes is friction, friction of the water against the pipe, and then, of course, elevation change. Uh, but a general rule is that for every two to three feet of elevation change, there should be about one PSI of pressure change. So if you got, you know, at the head of the system, you got this pressure, and at the at the base of the system, you got way lower pressure or something. If you can't get elevation to account for that difference, um, then you know we may have a problem to to address. And then you just want to look for consistency, consistency and pressure amongst those those lateral lines. You know, you're looking for anything more than about 20% difference between the lines. Anything more than that, 20% difference among the lines is probably a sign of a problem somewhere that you need to have figured out. Uh, one thing that I forgot to mention also, um, I don't know how, I don't know how applicable it is to all of you, uh, but you can even test the pressure in the middle of those lateral lines anywhere you want. Uh, there's a little adapter, and I don't know how to say the name of it. It's P-I-T-O-T. -I, -T -T. I don't know if they say Pitot or, or Pitot or I don't know. But it's a little adapter with that name, and it looks like a little bitty tiny brass tube. And you take your irrigation tube and you punch a hole in it with your drip punch. Uh, you put this little fitting in there with your pressure gauge, and you can read the pressure anywhere in any lateral line. You take the pressure gauge out and you plug it with a goof plug and, and you're done. So there's that option too. So once you figured out kind of what the average operating pressure of your lateral lines, lateral lines is, <laughs> then you can kind of calculate 
what those emitters should be putting out. You know, if they're non-pressure compensating, then you really are critical of what pressure you're operating at so that you know how much those emitters are discharging. If you have pressure compensating emitters, then you're less critical, less concerned with exactly what pressure they're operating at. You just want to know that they're above that minimum threshold pressure that makes those compensating emitters work at. So uh, once you do that, you know, okay, I've got this pressure, I've got these emitters, and at this pressure, these emitters should be putting out this number of uh, gallons per hour or gallons per minute. Then you can, you know, you figure out or you remind yourself how many emitters you have per tree. And that'll give you your total gallons of water per hour per tree. And with that number, you can figure out your system application rate in inches per hour. And, and just keep that in your mind. I'm not going to get into it today, but we're going to use that figuration uh, in future episodes for later discussions on irrigation scheduling. So that's my point is this whole pressure thing, uh, knowing what emitters, whether they're compensating or non-pressure compensating, knowing all that stuff is not just a maintenance thing. It's going to help us with irrigation scheduling down the road. The last thing I want you to do uh, is to evaluate your distribution uniformity. And I think I've, I've visited orchards that have had problems with this before. Uh I can't guarantee it because I didn't test their distribution uniformity, but I think this is one that goes often uh, unrecognized or unchecked. And it's a fairly, I mean, it's a really simple process. Actually, you just collect water from various emitters. And how many emitters to collect water from, you know, depends on the size of the, of the orchard or the size of that irrigation block, whatever it may be. The more the better, right? The more the better when you're doing sampling or statistics, the, the more the better. Uh, they recommend, California, recommends about 30 to 40 per, per irrigation block. Uh, if it was me, I've got, uh, let's see, I've got a 15-acre field. Uh, I'm probably going to do it 20 times. So uh, with your little, you just collect water from one emitter for two minutes. And if you got those little pop-in drippers, that's easy. You put a can under them and they drip right into the can. If you've got inline emitters in the tube, you know that sometimes the water comes out and it wants to run down that tubing. If you've got it held up with something underneath it, it wants to run downhill of that tubing. So you need to do something to, to make it drip. Uh, what I've seen is people take hose washers and cut them on one side and kind of fit that around the, the irrigation tubing, your lateral line tubing. Put one on either side of the of the emitter, and that should those little hose washers should should make the water drip down into your can. All right, so collect water from your emitters for two minutes, and then pour it into a graduated cylinder or some way to measure milliliters of water. I know sounds like a pain. You got to get something else to measure in milliliters, but I don't know what to say. It, it, this is farming. If you want to you want to do the best. This is how people have figured out to do the best. So collect the water for two minutes, measure it out in milliliters, take those number of milliliters times 0 0.008. That's just a, a conversion constant. Again, these folks have figured it all out. And um, so you take your milliliters times 0 0.008. 
So for example, in two minutes, I collect 125 milliliters of water, do my calculation, comes out to exactly one gallon per hour. So you do that for all of your emitters or for, you know, 20, 30, 40 of them. And you see what kind of variation you have across the orchard. So you might uh, then average all of those emitters. If they're fairly consistent, average them all together, uh, multiply that number by emitters per tree. And now you know how much water each tree gets per hour. Now you figured it out. You've got gallons per hour, how many, how much water each tree gets. What you can also do with those e, these those emitter measurements is rank them. Maybe put them on paper or in, a, in an Excel file and rank them from highest to lowest. Let's say you've got 40 emitter measurements you've taken. Rate them from highest to lowest. You found the average of all 40. Next, find the average of the lowest 25% of the readings. So of those 40, the lowest 25, that's, that's going to be what, uh, 10 of them. <laughs> The lowest 10 emitter readings, take those 10 and find the average of those. Then what you'll do, hang with me, is you take the average of the, those lowest 25% divided by the overall average times 100. And that'll give you a percentage. Uh, so the average of the lowest 25% of emitters divided by the overall average it, that'll give you a fraction, of course, or a decimal. You multiply by 100, that'll give you a percentage. And so you're looking really for somewhere above 80% distribution uniformity. 80, 80 to 90% is normal. You rarely get above 90%. A good unclogged, <clears throat> a good new system with unclogged emitters is going to be 85 to 90% uh, distribution uniformity across the orchard. So anywhere 80 or higher is sufficient. And we address this, we want to know this because, for example, at 90% distribution uniformity, obviously those trees that are in the middle actually receiving the, the average irrigation rate, those trees in the middle, they're getting the right amount. But there's trees on the far end that are getting too much, and there's trees on the other far end that are getting not enough. But when you have 90% distribution uniformity, the low and the high end only receive 12% too much or 12% too little water. That's not much. To be 12% off over the entire orchard, that's pretty good. But when your distribution uniformity drops below 80, let's say 75% distribution uniformity, then the, the, the two ends of the spectrum become 30%. So at 75% distribution uniformity, some of the trees are getting 30% too much water and some of the trees are getting 30% not enough water. So that's why I think distribution uniformity is really important. Uh, I've, I've seen some of these problems, uh, especially overwatering. Um, you know, you know, as well as I, or you should know, olives really don't like to be too wet. Uh, and I've seen lots of phytophthora problems come around because of this. Uh, so, so I guess that's it. I, I'm going to leave it there for today. It's already 40 minutes. Goodness. Um, that's my whole point. Before we even get into talking about how to figure out how much and when and where to water, you've got to know something about your irrigation system and you got to make sure it's working correctly. 
And, and these are some things that you can do mostly on your own. Um, and, and when you need help, you can call me or call your your irrigation provider, whoever installed it or wherever you get your parts. Uh, talk to those people if you have problems that you can't figure out. So know what you have. Know what kind of emitters you have, what, what they're supposed to put out. Know if they're pressure compensating or non-pressure compensating. Know the spacing on them or how many emitters you have per tree. Make sure the filters are, are cleaned or replaced um, as they should be. Better filters towards the pump are, are better than downstream filters along the, along the header or manifold. Of course, address leaks it can be a big deal. And then flush periodically, not just the lateral lines, flush the whole system. You know, the whole system maybe once a year, the lateral lines are what, what I would really do more often because that's where the majority of, of debris is going to settle. Get familiar with testing pressures. Uh, you know, testing pressures at the tail end of your lateral lines is a really quick way to say, up, oh, pressure's low on this one. I got a leak or a problem somewhere upstream. Let me walk this row and figure it out. So figure out pressure testing. Um, and then, then work on distribution uniformity. Take a little time. I know it's hot, but take a little time. Hopefully you're running the irrigation mostly in the evening or cool time, evening and overnight, early morning if you can. So go out there in those times, collect water from emitters for two minutes, multiply those milliliters of water times 0 0.008. That'll give you gallons per, per hour. And then look at your distribution uniformity. You want you want uh, 80 to 90 percent uniformity. And like I said, take those emitter measurements, rank them highest to lowest, find the overall average, and find the average of the lowest 25 percent of those emitters. Take the average of the low 25, divide it by the overall average, multiply that by 100. That gives you a distribution uniformity percentage. And before I go here, let me just say one more thing, uh, and I kind of feel bad because I feel like I'm harping on you guys or just harping on this this kind of point, but but I'm serious about it. Like I know this, what we talked about today, a lot of the other things we've talked about in the past, it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds uh, it sounds uh, like menial work. It sounds tedious. Sounds like it's not fun. It doesn't sound like growing trees. It doesn't sound like making oil. But golly, it's important. Um, you know, you look at California and you go, man, those guys really not know how to grow some stuff. And and partially, they just got the climate. You know, they got the soil, they got the climate, they got the water. You can kind of grow things there on accident. But when you talk about these olive orchards in California and Australia, they're making 10, 11, 12 tons of fruit an acre. It's not by just, oh, it's hot today, I'm going to turn the water on. They do these things times 10. They do all the stuff I'm talking about to the max. And, you know, we are not California. We've got challenges in Texas with, with all fruit crops that make it much more difficult to grow here. And my point is we need to do that much even better in some of these menial, tedious tasks like evaluating your irrigation system, evaluating your distribution uniformity. It doesn't sound sexy. It doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound like growing trees, but it is of the utmost importance. 
if you don't know what your irrigation system is doing, if you can't guarantee that it's uniform, that it's putting out the amount that you think it's putting out, then then everything else is a wash. You know, we can't help you diagnose problems if we don't know how much water's going out. Uh, you can't expect to grow a good crop in a harsh environment if you don't actually know that you're putting out what you intend to put out. So I guess that's all I, I wanted to say was I know these things sound menial and tedious and not fun, but I mean, this is the right way to do it. We've got challenges to overcome, and and my opinion is to be to be the best and to have the most chance for success. And I think I've said this before: to have the most chance for success with olives in Texas, we really got to make sure everything else is right on the money. Our irrigation is right on the money. Our fertility is right on the money. Our our pruning, our weed control, everything. Because we fall short in one of these areas, that just trickles down the line, has a has a has a downstream effect on everything else in the orchard. So, I don't mean to harp at you. I I, I say these things because I'm passionate, because I want to see you guys succeed. Uh, and so that's that's why I'm doing this. So that's it. Uh, the all of this work sounds not fun, but it really is going to make you the best of the best. All right, I guess that's going to do it for me. Next time, we're going to get even further into, you know, uh, actually estimating what the orchard is going to use and how we do some of that. So I'm I'm excited about all that. Get your leaf test done. Get you a leaf analysis done. If you got questions on it, of course, email, call, text, uh, snail mail, however you want to contact me. I'm happy to help. So, yeah, I guess that's it. We're going to wrap it up for today. Stay cool out there, um, and hang on. The the drought will break. It will rain someday. It will rain again. But y'all take care of each other out there. You take care of those olive trees, and we'll talk to you again soon, when it's time again for Growing Texas Olives.